Thank you for joining us for Questions of Faith on Radio Maria England. Today's live program is on January 14th. Thank you for joining us. The program today is all about having two experts, gentle, kind directors, people giving the, getting the Holy Spirit to bring you answers, our dear listeners. We've got questions that have been emailed in to the email address questions at radiomariaengland.uk. Some have been texted into us. Uh, those phone numbers for all the different ways to communicate with us is on our website, www.radiomariaengland.uk. But this is also an opportunity for our friends, our family, our community to call, call. I've got Sister Gemma Simmons, Father Tony Rogers here to answer any questions you may have of faith or what's going on in the church. The phone number to call in is this, 01-223-375-564. If you're outside of the UK, the number is 0044-122-337-5564. Before we get started, though, let's start with a prayer, because that's always the best way to start a program. I'm going to go with Father Tony. Can you lead us with prayer, please? I'd be delighted to, Helena. Lord, we gather in your name people who love you and know we are loved by you, people who are anxious and and keen to understand more about the faith that we profess, the love that we share in the Lord and with one another. Guide us in all that we think and do and say this morning. Amen. 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 Father Tony, while I've got you on, uh, could you share with the listeners who you are? Why? What makes you think you could answer any of our questions? And did you have a lovely New Year? I had a lovely New Year. Thank you, Helena. Um, what makes me think I can answer any of the questions? Well, I suppose some of them I've been asked a lot of times before. Uh, but as always with the questions, I don't know the answer to everything. And so I need to scratch my head or look to wiser people. But my name is Tony Rogers. I'm a priest from the Catholic Diocese of East Anglia, currently working and living in Alborough out on the Suffolk coast. And I'm delighted to be with you and with Sister Gemma. We're delighted that you're here as well. Sister Gemma Simmons, could you please share with our listeners, who are you? Why could you answer any thoughts that we might have? And did you have a nice Christmas? Oh, wait, and did you get the king in the king cake? I didn't actually. No, Sister Catherine in my community, she got the king in the king cake. And that was very right and proper because she is our oldest sister in the community. But she is our gardener and she does so much work to bring us joy and to bring us a sense of God with us in nature. So I think she deserved to get the king in the king cake and therefore to have the day off. So the big thing was she did not get to do the washing up because that's the first thing the person who gets the king gets allowed off is the washing up. So my name is Gemma Simmons. I'm a sister of the Congregation of Jesus here in Cambridge, a very, very long time friend of Father Tony. So Tony, hello, happy new year and lovely to be with you. And I think I can answer questions because I've got a lot of questions myself. 
And I spend a lot of time reflecting on those. I teach theology in the Margaret Beaufort Institute of Theology here in Cambridge. And I've also been, I was a school teacher for a long time, a university chaplain um, and a chaplain in a women's prison for 25 years. So I used to receive, like Father Tony, a lot of questions. And it's by being asked lots of questions that you kind of work out an answer. But of course, the answer goes on growing all the time because you change, the answers change. I mean, at, at heart, they're the same, but your expression of what those answers are changes as the years go by. And I always find them very interesting. So I love it when people phone or text or write in questions because they're questions I think all of us are grappling with all the time. Thank you, Sister Gemma. Thank you, Father Tony. Well, enough about that. Let's get on to the first question. And this is one that I have had as well. But this has been written in last week to us, especially as we have started coming into ordinary time. The anonymous writer wrote, the priest has just said that we're about to reach ordinary time. What is that? And how can I make ordinary time less Ordinary. I'm going to go with Father Tony first. What do you think? Ordinary time. Yeah, it, it, I think the terminology is not the easiest to understand straight away, but it actually makes logical sense. We have cardinal numbers, which are one, two, three, four, five. We have ordinal numbers, which are first, second, third, fourth, fifth. This is all that ordinal means, ordinary means in this context. It means a sequence of weeks and of Sundays that are not in Advent, Christmas time, Lent or Easter. So we have a little window between now and the beginning of Lent. And then after Pentecost, right through till Advent, we have a very sizable chunk of ordinary time. The other bit of the question is, how can we make ordinary less ordinary? Well, I think one of the things about ordinary time, especially, is that in our church's liturgy, it hangs around the arrangement of our lectionary, our book of scripture readings, for Sundays and weekdays. And we have a three-year cycle um, of Sunday readings focusing on Matthew, Mark and Luke's Gospel. And we're now in the year of Luke, year C. And one of the things about ordinary time is it helps us to become much more acquainted with, you know, the Gospel writer that we're focusing on. We see and we learn what what are the particular characteristics of Luke's gospel? What are the things that feature in his gospel? And there are a, a couple of things in particular which we should always look out for. Luke focuses far more on women than any of the other gospel writers do. He singles them out in all sorts of situations. And the second thing about Luke's gospel is it's often called the gospel of prayer because there's a lot of teaching about Jesus in there about prayer and parables about prayer as well. So I think ordinary time is the opportunity for us on a 
an ongoing, in an ongoing way over a period of weeks and months to develop our understanding of the scriptures just that little bit better. Thank you, Father Thank Tony. You, Father. Sister Gemma, do you have anything to add to that? I surely do. I mean, if we take... Um, Father Tony gave a, a wonderful uh, response to the notion of what ordinary means in this context. But if we take ordinary in the context that most people use that word, it just means kind of blur time. It means time that's not very exciting, I suppose. And, you know, I'm a person who loves feasts. And I know that Sister Mary in my community, it's her birthday today. So when I go home at lunchtime, we're going to have a special lunch and a bit of a party because it's Mary's birthday. But, you know, if you had your birthday every day, then when you had your real birthday, it kind of wouldn't be exciting because it would be hey-ho, another birthday, yawn-yawn. And um, we have kind of feast days and special times just to remind us of the kind of high times. But the ordinary times, I think there's no such thing as ordinary time. In a sense, any time that's given to us by God is extraordinary because God is sharing that time with us. And I think of two great saints, great teachers of the spiritual life, St. Ignatius of Loyola, who talked about finding God in all things. And he meant by that, look, there's no experience, there is no human experience, whether it's, you know, having a shower or putting out the bins or cleaning out the fish tank or changing a nappy or fixing the car, whatever it is. There's no human activity where God is not present. So to find God, to have those moments and to share them with God. And, you know, sometimes I have this little conversation running where I'm kind of cross because things are not going well and I have a good old grumble. Well, I have a good old grumble with God and to God. Or sometimes, you know, I bite into a donut or something like that. And I think, oh, yum, this is just gorgeous. And I share that moment with God. And it's it's all, it means that everything is part of prayer. Everything is part of our relationship with God. And St. Teresa of Avila, who was the great mystic and teacher of prayer, she said, God is to be found among the pots and pans. You know, I think she didn't want her Carmelite sisters and brothers to get too kind of exalted so that they were always looking for God in the kind of mountaintop moments and forgot that, you know, when they're getting down and dirty in the kitchen or, you know, doing the scrubbing the floors, God is also in that experience. So how can I make ordinary time less ordinary by sharing it with God and allowing God to speak to us? through the simple tasks of every day. You know, I have I have a wonderful friend called Jenny and she is severely, severely disabled with cerebral palsy. Jenny cannot do anything physical for herself. She can't wash, she can't eat, she can't go to the toilet on her own. She needs help with all of those things. And one of the things she's taught me is every time I blow my nose... Every time I put a mouthful of food into my own mouth, that's such a gift. It's such a grace. And it's a gift and a grace that some people don't get to have. What I love and admire so much about Jenny is that she is so full of, of her relationship with God, even despite the fact that she can't do these things. 
And um, I think sometimes she reminds me that I need to thank God for every ordinary moment of my life where I can use my skills and do things for myself. So ordinary time, not so ordinary. I love it. Thank you, Sister Gemma. And thank you, Father Tony. Okay. Well, speaking of ordinary time, actually, I'm trying to find a transition and it's not working. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to go straight to the question. Why can Catholics receive communion in other churches, but Christians that aren't Catholic can't receive or are discouraged to receive communion in a Catholic church? Sister Gemma, we're going to let you start this one off, if that's okay. Ah, this is such a painful question, especially in families where maybe one uh, spouse, one parent is a Catholic and the other is not. Um, I do a lot of ecumenical work. I had a huge privilege, amazing privilege, just before Christmas. The Archbishop of Canterbury asked me if I would give a retreat to the Anglican bishops. So we all went down to Canterbury and had an amazing time of prayer together. And we had a lovely, lovely Eucharist where the Archbishop himself um, presided at the Eucharist in the crypt chapel of Canterbury Cathedral. And I had to explain to them... Brothers and sisters, I, I I love being here with you. I really feel a sense that Jesus is present and has brought us together. But I cannot receive communion with you. And I humbly ask if you will give me a blessing. And there was just this amazing moment where I crossed my hands over my heart and um, Archbishop Justin gave me a blessing. And then he said, now, Gemma, I want you to give me a blessing. Ah, it was such an amazing moment of of union, which reminded me that there are ways of experiencing union in Jesus without actually receiving communion as such. And I think at the bottom of this is the fact that there are still differences, theological differences, quite important theological differences, of how different Christian traditions understand the sacraments and understand what communion is. And although, in fact, I was certainly among many people there who I think their understanding of the Eucharist is pretty much identical to mine, there are historical reasons why we became divided and the Catholic Church sees the receiving of communion as the fruit of union, not the way to get there. And I think it's important that we respect those differences and actually allow the pain to be real. You know, if we don't feel the pain of the division of one group of Christians from another, we will never, never try to work at ecumenism. So just kind of glossing over the pain and saying, ah, well, it doesn't matter really. Let's all just receive communion together. That's kind of pretending that the divisions are not there. And I think of receiving communion as something that I do with my body, but my body expresses my faith and my belonging to the faith of the church, of a group, of of a family. And we know that there are differences of belief within the wider family of the Christian faith. And 
It seems to me that we're not being honest with ourselves or each other if we just pretend that those differences don't exist. But I think there are ways in great humility and in huge, huge appreciation of the deep Christian commitment of our sisters and brothers in other Christian traditions where we can make gestures of union where we can join in as far as it's possible for us to do and try very carefully not to offend one another, to explain what we're doing and why we're doing it or what we're not doing and why we're not doing it without having a kind of language of minds bigger than yours or minds better than yours or we're the ones that have got all the answers and you know nothing, because that's not true. And our own church, the Second Vatican Council and um, Pope Benedict actually had some really interesting teaching about ecumenism where he talks of, you know, signs of the presence of God, signs of the spirit of God within other Christian churches that we must be sensitive to and alert to those signs of union and of grace. But for me, I would say at the same time, we respect the differences by acknowledging that they're there. Father Tony, would you like to contribute to that? Yeah, thank you very much indeed. Um, curiously enough, I had exactly the same experience with Archbishop Justin as Gemma did. Um, shortly after he became Archbishop of Canterbury, he came to preach at the Festival Eucharist here in Alborough, uh, marking the Alborough Festival, and it was in the centenary year of uh, Benjamin Britten's birth. So there was a, a great festival Eucharist with one of the Cambridge College choirs uh, providing the music. And during the course of the offertory hymn, I'd been invited to, to lead the intercessions. During the course of the offertory hymn, Archbishop Justin came over to me and he said, look, I realise there is a problem uh, about your receiving communion. So he said, what I would like you to do is to come up before I start distributing to other people and I will give you my blessing. But then he said, I would like you to give me your blessing. So exactly the same experience as Gemma and a very moving moment, not least because of the sensitivity uh, that initiated that from him. And I found that, you know, both very moving and, and very humbling uh, and, and, and something which, which was very affirming in all sorts of ways. So I, 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 I share that and I think Gemma is absolutely right that those moments can be moments of communion with other individuals, with other communions, with other churches, um, without us necessarily sharing in Eucharistic communion. But let me take you back a little bit. Um, during the last part of the last century, in the sort of 70s and 80s and 90s, the Bishop of our diocese at that time was a man called Alan Clark. And Alan Clark was the co-chairman with a bishop from the Church of Ireland called Henry McAdoo. They were the co-chairman 
of uh, a, a body that is still around called ARCIC, which is the Ant in Anglican Roman Catholic International Commission. And that commission was, was set the task of looking at uh, a number of concepts uh, uh, and, and, and a number of touchstones of faith uh, in our two communions, because it was in the wake of Vatican II, it was when we were wanting desperately to move forward. And among the things that Archic looked at was the whole issue of justification, the whole issue of ordination, the whole issue of authority, and the issue of communion. And the impetus back then was so strong, and I can't underestimate or overemphasize it, it was so strong that there was a real feeling, particularly among those of us dedicated to ecumenism, that perhaps by the turn of the millennium, there would be some sort of Eucharistic sharing between us, not necessarily full communion, but occasions when it was appropriate. So much so that in one church I looked after, where we said Mass in an Anglican parish church each Sunday, the relationship between uh, the Anglican and the Catholic community, uh, its people and its clergy, was so strong, and it was so clear that the Eucharist was at the centre of our worshipping life in both traditions then, um, that we on occasions with the full backing of our bishop at the time uh, were able to gather together for a shared liturgy of the word and then at different times uh, but in the same church to consecrate our own bread and wine and distribute it to our own people there was no fudging of the issues and, and it, it, it was messy. It was messy in the sense that we were united in the word, but divided in the sacrament. But the one thing that was powerful about that experience, it was a testimony to the fact that in both communions, the Eucharist was seen to be at the centre of our worship. And that was a direction very much which the Anglican Communion was moving at that time. I'm, I'm not quite sure that it's the same now. And that's why I think Gemma is right to say that we cannot gloss over the things that are still a cause of division between us. It's not just a matter of believing the same thing. It's about belonging to a communion of faith where an awful lot more than faith in the Eucharist is at the heart of, of, of how we live and believe and what makes us tick. So it's, it's a very big issue, um, but it's an issue which already does admit of exceptions. On the one hand, uh, Anglicans, like the free churches, have their regulations and their laws, their canon law, their, 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 their requirements and their offerings. 
And they are able by their own discipline to say that they welcome those who are uh, communicant members of their own church, or in the case of the free churches, in many cases, all who love the Lord Jesus. And so we have our rules and regulations as well, which say that under normal circumstances, we are not able to invite Christians from other churches to share with us. But there are exceptions. And there are very specific exceptions that make a huge difference to people. For example, communicant um, Anglicans who are getting married in a Catholic church are often uh, invited to receive communion at their nuptial mass on that occasion. And there are other exceptions which which show that it's what we want, but it's not what we feel we can yet do all the time. So that's my few thoughts to add. And it is, uh, it's the week of prayer for Christian Union, yes, uh, unity is. next yes. week, isn't it? So yes. I think this is an invitation to us to really think, you know, what what am I doing for ecumenical relations? Yes. How am I showing uh, union and hospitality and openness to my brothers and sisters in Christ who are from different traditions. And my real hope is that, you know, all of us will uh, engage in the week of Prayer for Christian Unity with real enthusiasm and commitment. That Christian Unity Week starts on Tuesday, January 18th. And listeners, if you do check out and see what your parishes are doing, uh, what your communities are doing. Uh, so hopefully there are, I mean, there's limited amounts that can be done during the pandemic, but there might be something for you to take part in if that would be just as a, much of a blessing for your fellow community members and fellow Christians. And so if your out. parish is not doing anything, I suggest you ask your parish priest, why not? Yes. Boom, boom. Oh. Can I, can I just <laughs> add a word as well to say that I would love to see the time, I can't speak for other churches, I'd love to see the time when Catholics stop making disparaging remarks about the faith of other Christians. Amen. You often hear people say things like, well, of course, they don't believe this or that doesn't matter to them. I think we have to be much more sensitive, much more understanding and much more respectful of other people's faith because communion and the ability to share communion together will only come when we have a, a deeper appreciation and understanding at, and love and cooperation at a much more basic level. We don't solve things just by going to communion together. We need to long to be together and to understand and respect one another. So that's my prayer for this week of prayer. For amen, Christmas. amen, Tony. Amen. That is so, so very true. All right, Sister Gemma, Father Tony, I'm going to let you have a little break to get something to drink or to, to, to clear your throats. And listeners, this is your opportunity to call in with any questions. The number is 01223-375-564. Again, the number is 01223 Thank you. 
questions of faith. And today is January 14th and we are live. So listeners, you've got a chance to ask a question to Sister Gemma Simmons from the Margaret Beaufort Institute and Father Tony Rogers, priest, pastor, uh, prison chaplain, gentleman all around. So call us, call us. The number is 01-223-375-564. But Tony, this, uh, Father Tony, <laughs> I have a question that has been sent in uh, by one of my friends because she has was asking me, how can you, go, go, to what time do you go to mass? And I say, oh, I go to the early mass. Oh, why? And it's always about breakfast. So this is her question. Sometimes I mistime breakfast before weekday mass and find that it's not a full hour since I finished breakfast or my cup of tea. It's more like 50 to 55 minutes. What should I do in this circumstance? Do I receive communion anyway? Do I abstain? Do I receive communion and then confess it later? And then she writes, also, is it the same rule for people who are in the hospital and are visited by a hospital chaplain or Eucharistic minister? What do you think, Father Tony? Well, Helena, that question is a gift to me. And I'll tell you why. Because it's the story of my father and myself. My father, my dad died 50 years ago. And this was the battle I had with him till his dying day. Dad was a good, pious Catholic who, when he came home from work in the evening, came home from the office, he would invariably go, if we had an evening mass on in the parish, he would invariably go to evening mass. And I'd often be kneeling beside him and communion would come and I would go up and receive and dad would stay where he was. And I seen him do two things, stay exactly where he was or rush up um, just as the priest was finishing distributing communion. And Dad's line, and I have to say the parish priest's line at the time, was the same. If it says an hour, it means an hour. I used to say to him, Dad, do you really think, do you really think that God has got a stopwatch out and is saying, ah, missed, missed by 35 seconds, you know, that'll, that'll be marked against you. I said, Dad, out of your faith and devotion and love, you go out of your way, you come to Mass on a weekday, you've come home from the office, you haven't had your supper or you've just eaten it and, and, and gone in and maybe the hour isn't fully up. The important thing is that you were there. God does not have stopwatches. So given the options that were put in that question, receive, abstain, or receive and confess, the answer for me is utterly simple, receive. Certainly don't abstain and don't receive and confess because you haven't done anything wrong. 
So people might jump back at me and say, but, but there's a rule. There's a rule. It's an hour. The whole idea behind a Eucharistic fast, and remember, when I first made my, when I made my first communion back in the 1950s, back then we had to fast from midnight. Then it was reduced to three hours for solid food and an hour for drink, and then it was reduced to an hour for everything. The whole purpose of the Eucharistic fast is just to, to, to make some kind of break between one kind of activity and another. So I'd be the first to say that it would be, I think, wholly appropriate, and I'm sure everybody else would agree, if I was chewing gum and wandered up in the, in the communion queue and just took the gum out before I received communion. Uh, that would show that, you know, I wasn't fully there, as it were. But as for counting 50, 55 minutes, 59 minutes, 30 seconds, I just don't believe that we have a God who is, is, is in any way looking on us like that. And to answer the final bit of the question, uh, the, the, the regulation, I think, and I, I have to confess that I'm not 100% certain of this, is that in hospitals and in, in care homes and wherever, where the minister or priest going in to give communion doesn't have any control over when people are being fed or, or what, I, I think it simply says, you know, 15 minutes if possible. But once again, I would never, ever dream of saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't be going to communion because you haven't fasted for X amount of time. So there we are. That's my my simple, straightforward thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Father Tony. Sister Gemma, what are your thoughts? Oh, I would I would absolutely concur with what Father Tony says and say, look, let's let's look at this in a very human context. I mean any of you out there who are parents, if you had a small child who was hurt, you know, who fell over and, and had a bleeding knee. And, you know, the first thing they do, they cry and they reach out their arms for mummy or daddy because they want to cuddle. They want to be comforted. And imagine a parent, you know, getting a watch out and saying, oh, well, I can't do that. Uh, you know, you've got to wait two minutes before you get your cuddle now. Or, you know, or or a child who was hungry or thirsty. Well, you know, um, we've got to wait five minutes because it's not the time to feed you. You would never do that to your own child. You know, you, you would you would give them the comfort and the consolation that they needed at the time they needed it. And I think that is how God thinks of us, because the sacraments are all God's God's gestures of of consolation and God's gestures of love, and I don't I don't see God as our loving Father. I don't see Jesus as our loving brother, saying, "Well, I'm getting my stopwatch out now, and you know you can have a bit of comfort, but you've got to wait three minutes and twenty seconds for it." I mean, it's absurd, you know, in that respect. And also, if we think about Jesus Himself. Um, 
you know, there was a row, if you remember, in the Gospels where Jesus' disciples were going through the fields and they were eating the grains of corn and they were told off because it was the Sabbath day. And Jesus turned round to the kind of religious purists who were saying this and said, look, you know, the Sabbath was made for human beings, not human beings for the Sabbath. Um, it's the spirit. The law is meant to to be the, the container in which the spirit is contained. But if you just concentrate on the container so much that you forget what the spirit is all about, then you've got the wrong end of the stick. And, you know, Jesus said this time and time again when he was told off for breaking Sabbath laws in order to heal someone, comfort someone, be present to someone who needed him. And he said, you know, what, what matters more than anything else is the need and God's desire to fulfill our needs. And that's where the sacraments are. And I think that's where time is. So a little bit of kind of common sense and a good heart, I think, will will lead us in the right way. Agreed. And speaking as a mother, you do not want hungry children in your church. You surely you don't. Surely do not. They will wiggle. They will. They will not focus. If you want them to focus on anything, they'll just focus on their tummies and moaning about it. Of course they will. But I will say, and then this is not with the rules or anything. But there is something, and this is probably like Father Tony said, is why there is the suggestion, the rule of of the hour, is that it does. It, it, it becomes kind of a, because I love food, it becomes a sacrifice on my part. It's nothing to do with God having a stopwatch or anything. But on my part, I mentally have to think, all right, no, for this morning we had 9.30 mass and I couldn't, I didn't have a tea or anything before, but it was a sacrifice for me going, ah. And in a way I was thinking about, okay, I'm getting ready for mass, getting ready for mass, it's going to happen. And then and then the tea is going to be all the better when I have it. So for those uh, that that I do hold that I I I commiserate because I, I, I empathize with those. It's so important to have and to follow that rule because it can become such a way to prepare. But that's you doing it. The Lord doesn't He doesn't ask for you to do any of that. Surely, and helps. and I have to say I'm a great fan of fasting myself. You wouldn't think so to look at me because I don't look like the kind of person who fasts don't a great say that. deal. Don't say that. It is true. But, um, you know, actually feeling the hunger for God in our own bodies, you know, it, it's a great thing. So when we come to Lent, I'm going to do something about fasting for sure um, on Radio Maria. But so I'm a great fan of fasting, actually, but just not getting tied up in knots about it. That's the thing. That's not what it is. Fast, fast with joy. Yes. Fast yes. with enjoy fasting. Yes. And, and you're, you're doing all right there. All right. Oh, well, we've, I, I think we've got that covered. Uh, listeners, if you've got any follow-up questions or if you want to share your thoughts on that as well, do know the studio line is open. The number is 01223-375-564. But we do have, this is a question. Uh, it's one of my friends. He is asked to remain anonymous, so we're going to do that. But he has shared with me and confidence. Uh, I, did, I didn't ask him if I could share this on Radio Maria. Sorry. It's, but anyway... <laughs> He's asked me, he's told me that he's really engrossed in his work at the moment and he's feeling very disconnected from his spiritual life. And right now, his parish and a lot of our parishes are low key. So how can he reconnect with God when he feels lost in his Excel spreadsheets? 
I'm going to go with Sister Gemma. You first, if you want. Oh, my dear friend. Well, you know, if Teresa of Avila was right to say that God is among the pots and pans, God is also among the Excel spreadsheets, says a person who would not know one end of an Excel spreadsheet from another, it has to be said. Um, I actually quite recently wrote and published a book called Dancing at the Still Point, Retreat Practices for Busy Lives. Here's a little advert for it. I've got that book. (laughs) And uh, it's a book that is trying to say to people, look, we don't all have oceans of time to kind of go off into a silent monastery and have great highlight moments of prayer and mystical experience. But we can find God in those little moments. And... I remember when I was the chaplain to the university here in Cambridge, I had a wonderful group of students who are all mums and dads now and, you know, doing great busy things. But um, they were under huge pressure because the the Cambridge uh, university terms are very short and so they're very, very intensive, you know. And they were these were young people who were trying to learn to develop their spiritual life. And we would meet once a week where they would just share and talk a little bit about how they'd found God during the week. And several of them would say, oh, you know, I've just had another awful week. I really never got to pray at all. Um, you know, I meant to pray. I meant to read the office or I meant to read the Bible and I never did any of those stuff. But I was in the lab all week and I had such a breakthrough in my experiment and it was brilliant and it was amazing. And I would say, and are you telling me that you think that was not prayer? Did you share that amazing moment with God? Did you think at any point to say, thank you, God, for my amazing brain that I've been able to work out this experiment? Or thank you, God, for the extraordinary advances in science that have made this such an exciting thing to be part of. And they'd say, oh, no, I forgot all about that. So, you know, I would try to encourage them to think, look, however busy you are, whether it's with your laboratory experiment or whether it's trying to write an essay or whether it's looking up a book in the library, whatever your tasks are of the day, you know, driving your bus or sitting at your checkout or, uh, you know, whatever the stuff is that you've got to do, just every once in a while, remember what an amazing thing it is to have those skills. I mean, the fact that you can actually write spreadsheets, understand spreadsheets, that's a miracle to me because I can't read numbers at all. And I mean, that's an amazing thing to, to share with God. So I think, you know, the more you connect with your ordinary life and connect that with just talking to God in a perfectly ordinary way, thanks, you know, or, you know, what am I doing this for? Who Who's going to benefit from this? Um, how's this knowledge that I've got uh, going to be used? And thinking about those people, thinking about the end product, as it were, the people who are going to be affected by the fact that you are producing receipts or you are writing reports or whatever you're doing. All of that is part of God's amazing creation and your part in it. You're being a collaborator, a co-worker with God through your skills. And I think those are things you can do without without actually having to go to church at all. So if things are a bit low key at at church for for good reason because of the covid pandemic well maybe just raise up a little bit your awareness 
of the importance of what's going on in your ordinary life. Oh, well said, well said. Father Tony, do not be intimidated by Sister Gemma's brilliance. <laughs> what would you like to share to add with this? Any help from my friend that shall I, remain I'm anonymous? I'm not the least intimidated by Gemma's brilliance. Delighted to hear it, Tony. <laughs> Except to say uh, that, to me, this question is just an extension of the first one we had yeah. about ordinary time and and making every moment extraordinary. And one of the things that I was just thinking of while Gemma was talking is what has always delighted me and, and, and sort of boosted me, just given me a lift, is when I meet just lovely, straightforward people who just add to what they're saying, oh, thanks be to God, or you know, thanks be to God I had a good night's sleep, or... Or, thanks be to God, you know, I got this done in time. Just very simple, no breakthroughs in science or or completion of audits or anything, but but something just utterly, an, a complete awareness of, of God's presence in the very, very everyday and mundane things. But yes, ordinary is good. Excellent. Well, guys, it's time for our listeners to have another opportunity to call in with any questions, thoughts. Perhaps you have some suggestions for our community about how to find joy, find God in the little things, to find some gratitude in all parts of your day. The number is 01223-375-564. Again, the number is 01 01- Two two three three seven five five six four. WhatsApp. Thank you very much. They said, don't say my name because they. this person asks lots of questions on Radio Maria. And so she's beautiful and wonderful. I won't tell you her name, though, because she said not to. But her question is the, about the dowry, the dowry of Mary. What does England, so this is what she wrote. What does England being the dowry mean? And does this make England special in some way to the Virgin Mary? Don't other countries also feel they have a privileged connection with the Blessed Virgin Mary? Father Tony, what do you think? I mean, you're from England. Uh, any, any opinions about Mary? 
Whenever I hear questions about favourites, I always go back to Peter's preaching in the wake of the, of the resurrection. Peter says, the truth I have come to realise is that God does not have favourites, but that everybody who does what is right is acceptable in his sight. I think we say exactly the same of Mary. Mary doesn't have favourites. She doesn't say, oh, England is better than Ireland or better than Italy or better than Poland. Of course she doesn't. Uh, the Diary of Mary is much more about our history and our devotion to her. Certainly from the Middle Ages, the expression Diary of Mary has been used. And certainly in more recent times, popes have referred to England as the Diary of Mary. But it's, it's, it's not a statement about God, Mary's favour for us, but just something about the, the tradition of devotion to Mary, which is probably no more exceptional here than it is in other countries. Um, we did, of course, in medieval times, have all sorts of Marian shrines, uh, the greatest of which, of course, is Walsingham, which is in our neck of the woods. Um, and Walsingham was one of the four great shrines of Christendom. And, uh, you know, that's that's one of the, the reasons why, you know, England is the Diary of Mary, because it, it, it's seen in the context of, of this being a place where the Annunciation and all that it stood for is honoured. But we had shrines in Cardigan, we had shrines in Ipswich, we had shrines in Glastonbury, we had shrines all over the country dedicated to Mary, which are simply signs of our love for her. We know her love for us is there, but I don't think we should ever say that she favours us more than anybody else. And I think we should look at other countries with their Marian shrines and with their devotion. But what is important, I think, is that it allows and, and rejoices in the variety of ways in which faith is expressed within the Catholic Church. Uh, and, and devotion to Mary will vary from different parts of the world to the other. You have the great devotion of Our Lady to Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico and the United States. That's a, a, a focus there. Obviously, there's Lourdes and, and other places as well. But, but you know, the, the stress and the emphasis does vary, um, you know, from place to place. So that's, I think, my thoughts on it. Thank you, Father Tony. Sister Gemma, any thoughts? Oh, indeed. Um, I mean, the the first time that the uh, that the term the Diary of Mary was certainly made in an official capacity. I think the first major dedication of England was by King Richard II back in thirteen eighty one. So that goes back a fair old time, uh, where he he sought the protection of our Blessed Lady at Westminster Abbey at a time of great political and social turmoil. And the idea was, you know, that a woman's dowry was what she brought to her marriage. It was her family treasure, as it were. And so she looked after it very, very carefully. You know, if the house was burning, 
you'd go back in to grab your dowry and then rush out again. Um, and so the idea was that by calling England Mary's dowry, that in time of trouble, she would look after it specially. And, and I think it's a good reminder to us that in time of trouble, such as the times that we're living through now with the coronavirus and with many political and social difficulties that challenge us, that we would most specially go to her for her, for her protection. And I certainly remember as a child, I used to pray um, the prayer for England, O Blessed Virgin Mary, Queen and Mother. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. It talks about, um, look down upon us all uh, who greatly hope and trust in thee. Um and I think, as Father Tony says, it's not so much a reminder to her that we are somehow bigger and better and deserving of more than anybody else, but that we have great needs and we trust that she, as our mother, is going to see to our needs. So it's a reminder to us, really. Um, I, I'm reminded in a slightly naughty way of um, in Spain, there is in Seville, there's a very famous virgin, La Macarena, on one side of the river. And then there's another statue, the Virgin of La Triana, on the other side of the river. And it's like football teams. They have these chants, you know, our virgin's better than yours. And I think of Our Lady just thinking, oh, my days, what are my children doing down there, you know? Um, but it's it's all a sign of, you know, us trusting her to care for us and protect us in time of trouble. So it's a reminder to us to turn to her in time of trouble. Oh, thank you so much, Sister Gemma. And thank you, Father Tony, for joining us today on Questions of Faith. We have run out of time, but it's been such a pleasure to have you both giving such wise information. If you'd like to hear this as a rebroadcast, it will be rebroadcast later throughout the week. And you can hear it as a podcast on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, all the different places. But for our listeners, Sister Gemma, could you end our pro uh, program with a prayer? I surely will. Visit, we beseech you, O Lord, this house and family. Drive far away from it all the snares of the enemy. Let your holy angels dwell with us and keep us in peace. And may your blessing be always upon us through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs>